All right. So here's your direction. You've gone to an art gallery. <laughs> You're walking through the art gallery with a friend of yours. And you see a painting. The painting is of a creepy old Italian woman. She's wearing a magical amulet. And beside her is a Bratislavian sheepdog. And while you and your friend look on at this painting, your friend turns to you and says, what's that painting called? And you look down at the title of the painting, and the title says, This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. That is the podcast for tennis shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,776 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I am here with my one, two, three co-hosts, <laughs> Bob, Rob, and ladies and gentlemen and non-binary listeners, we have yet another new co-host this episode, Talia. How are you doing, Talia? Oh, doing just swell. How are all of you today? Well, I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. I, I just got off work like five minutes ago and ran straight here. So I'm going from one job to the next, although this one is more fun, but less pain. <laughs> Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. So Talia, we know each other for a while now. We've done some acting together. We've been in a theatrical production or two together. We did a podcast together called Ace Galaxy. You actually have a writing credit on the newest episode of Ace Galaxy. Is that true? Yes, yes, it is a half truth. You see, I love <laughs> to just scream out ideas and just anything that could be fun. And then I just kind of walk away and I let them deal with my mess. That is the whole ethos of this podcast. I just scream out ideas and then hope that somehow in the editing booth, I can somehow make that into a narrative that makes sense for the you listeners. You have a lot more control over that, Sean, than all of us. It's better off that I just say out things. You cut out half of what I say and just leave me cackling like nobody's business. I, I trust you <laughs> listeners. I'm much, I'm much more intellectual than what Sean portrays me at on this. Right? Right, Talia? You can vouch for me, right? Oh, 100%. We go way back. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, invented the bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> the the, the, uh, the penny farthing, technically. <laughs> Robbie was the one who invented the big wheel, small wheel. He got really mad when they switched to the new fangled safety bicycle design. The mm -hmm. French invented that one. How dare they? thought that was the first episode of Torch Talk was about that. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find the newest episode of Ace Galaxy, Talia? I assume everywhere you find your local podcast, you can go down to the bakery and you can shake them, <laughs> grab the chef by the scruff of the neck and be like, listen here, where can I listen to Ace Galaxy? And they'll say, what are you talking about? You know what? That's why we don't have enough listeners. I keep forgetting <laughs> to tell people to go down to their bakery to find the newest episode of the podcast War Tennis Shoes. And while they're there, they may as well just throw in a five-star review or two, you know, just yell mm -hmm. it into the baker's face. Well, of course. <laughs> Talia, if you were going to yell a review of this show into a baker's face, what would you say? What would the subject line of your review be? 
I'd be like, listen here. And I look out at their name tag, probably a Sandra or Sebastian. Obviously. Naturally. And I'd say, here's the perfect recipe for a podcast. Okay. Tying it into their career. Very good. You got to speak to people with their language. I like it. Uh huh. Exactly. You got to find a way to be relatable, and this is it. While you're screaming a review of a podcast <laughs> in the thing. and assumably not purchasing anything. <laughs> did you wait in line, or did you just go cut straight into the line? Oh, she goes to the front. She has something important to say. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, she's like, "Listen here, I have a review for our podcast, and it's a recipe. It's the best recipe for a podcast." And then what do you say? You may think it's a recipe for disaster, but it is not. You know, <laughs> you get three major ingredients. Okay, you start with. Three talented actors that have (laughs) history going back. You put in a movie. That's the butter, baby. (laughs) You mix it together. Put in some flour, some banter that's otherwise known as batter. Ooh, now they're starting to listen. Now they're like, oh, okay. Everyone else, get out. We're closing the shop. I want to hear the rest of what she has to say. And I say, you know what? The best thing you can do is listen for yourself. Mm-hmm. You go listen to the podcast and you discover what it means to watch a movie again because you're doing it wrong, sweaty. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> Did you nickname the Sebastian or Sandra sweaty? Is that? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah nice. We also go way back. It's sweaty awesome. Sandra. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, um, Talia, can your, your catchphrase be, that's the butter baby? Yeah, I think 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's not the tagline for the other podcast, it should be. Oh, yeah. We already got t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> that's the butter baby. That's the butter baby. All right. Well, Talia, <laughs> you chose this week's episode for us. Did we ask Bobby how he's doing? Yeah, she did. I responded. You just ignored me like you always do. Oh, yeah? Nah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Rob. Come on. You got to keep your ears open, man. You're thinking about that bicycle again. <laughs> yeah, I was. still <laughs> mad at the French. Yeah, see, this is why we don't talk about it, because he gets distracted. Look, I got a really good deal on, like, really big wheels and really little wheels. I got to move that product. Okay. <laughs> It's called entrepreneurship. Yeah. It's been 140 years and you're still sitting on that warehouse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They're going to come back, baby. The penny farthing's coming back. <laughs> so, Tala, you chose the movie for this week. What movie is that? Well, today, this week, we are talking about the Shaggy Dog. Why in God's name are we talking about <laughs> yeah, the Shaggy why? Dog? <laughs> because it's iconic. And, like, when you think of, like, okay, something. Yeah. <laughs> The dog, you know, when you think of a dog, you think first Shaggy Dog, then Scooby Doo, then Snoopy, then the rest. There are, I mean, to be fair, she's not wrong. There are two canonical sequels within the timeline of this film and a Tim Allen remake. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Mm-hmm. Are you saying the 94 is in canon of this one? No, no, no. Actually, Bobby was ignoring that. There are two remakes. Oh, there is. That's right. There's a 94, but there's also a, there's a TV made for a TV sequel in the 80s as well. Because it's that good. It's actually not a sequel. We're, we're getting into this now, but the 80s movie is an in-betweenquel. Oh, it's an in-betweenquel. Okay. That takes place between the Shaggy Dog and the Shaggy DA. Like, did those movies come out in like 59 and something in the 70s? Yeah. What the hell? So they put a lot of thought into it of what they wanted it to be. It took that long for them to come up with another dog drives a car story. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. You brought it up now. (laughs) Best part of the whole fucking movie is the dog driving the car. That was the best. That was the best part of the movie. (laughs) Spoiler alert. We peaked. Cinema should have stopped right then. That was it. You get a dog driving a car. We're done. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to give a little bit of background to this to explain to Rob just why the Shaggy Dog is so iconic. Okay. 
1942, Walt Disney released Bambi. Bambi was written by an author called Felix Salter. It came out to moderate success, but coming on the heels of the financial disaster that was Fantasia, moderate success was something Walt Disney was very willing to grasp onto with both hands. And so he immediately bought the rights to all of Felix Salter's other books, including Son of Bambi. I don't think that's the actual title. It's something about like Bambi's children. <laughs> and a book called The Hound of Florence. The Hound of Florence is a book about a teenager in Italy who is cursed to constantly turn back and forth from a dog. And he considered making that into an animated film. Then, in 1957, two things happened. One, Disney released Zorro, which we've talked about and is awesome. Okay. Yes. Two, American International Pictures released I Was a Teenage Werewolf, which is slightly less awesome, mm. but we'll talk about it. Mm. And in response to Zorro, ABC called Walt Disney in and they said, Disney, baby, Walt, we're loving this Zorro thing. You got to give us another one of these hits. Come on, you're a hit maker, baby. And he said, well, I got another idea. I got this book that I've been looking to adapt, The Hounds of Florence. And I was thinking we could modernize it and we could make it a modern teenager. And we could make it into a sitcom, like an I Love Lucy kind of thing, but about a teenage boy who keeps turning into a dog. And ABC was like, well, baby, that's awful. I hate it. Get out of my office. <laughs> And so they refused to make it. And so Walt was so mad that he says he went right back to his Disney Studios office and he got Bill Walsh on the phone. And he said, Bill, listen, we're going to make this one way or another because I sold it to myself. I don't care if I sold it to them. I think it's a good idea. And so they started work on The Shaggy Dog. There was a missed opportunity to say, Bill, it's butter, baby. <laughs> Bill, it's butter, baby. That's Walt's nickname now? Yeah. That's the butter, baby. If you know, you know. <laughs> what, would, what would, what would, okay. Uh, like, they, they found enough, maybe they found enough, uh, hijinks to get into over the course of this one movie for a, a teenage boy to turn into a dog. Can you imagine, like, a, well, what, like a 36 episode run of season of, of this guy turning into a dog at all times? The thing is, I actually can. What would they've done? Because every sitcom in, like, the 60s was a ridiculous, you know, one episode premise that they stretched out for like seven seasons. Okay. Like, you know, I Dream of Genie. You also watched Dog with a Blog. Like, not ironically. You watched all of the Dog with the Blog. Have I explained to you the premise of that show? It's a dog with a blog. No, no, you're not. Okay, you're getting ahead of yourself. I don't know how you guessed okay, it, I'm but sorry. this dog has a blog. Have you seen it? <laughs> You must have seen it. <laughs> no, I haven't I know, seen it. Dog has this blog. This is insane. Oh my Most God. dogs don't have a blog. I don't think you're you're registering <laughs> how insane this premise yeah, is. Yeah, okay. Now, I have one question uh, about dog with a blog. Do the people who read the blog know that the blog is written by a dog? Yes, because he talks about dog things. Oh, okay. So how come science isn't taking advantage of this? That's right. I don't know why no one else in the family has found this blog, because he's constantly <laughs> posting pictures of himself with the family. This is too much like, information. they just do a Google image search, and there's just going to be a blog devoted <laughs> to this person who apparently lives with them <laughs> and mm. knows all their intimate family secrets. And has his own photographer that just follows them around. All right, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're asking too many questions. This is going to be our regular curry segment. Sean asks, uh, answers one question about Dog with a Blog. <laughs> you got to savor it. Hey, listen, we don't know. Maybe the last episode of Dog with a Blog reveals that it is a stealth sequel 
where that dog was also cursed by the Borgias. We don't know. We'll get into that, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. So he couldn't make a sitcom. He was forlorn. He went home. He said, boo-hoo-hoo, we're going to make a movie out of this. This movie is absolutely insane. Yes. We'll get into the details. I want to start by describing the marketing poster of this movie to you. Okay. Poster says, this is the tagline. A new kind of horror movie. Ellipses. Horribly funny. Jesus. It got me. There's a picture of a dog wearing a letter jacket, giving like a thumbs up to the camera. The floating head of Fred McMurray scolding this dog. <laughs> I love how much hate Fred McMurray has for dogs in this movie. <laughs> and then this dog has this dialogue bubble that says, I was a teenage boy. Okay. This is an insane poster. And is only slightly less insane understanding the context that this movie was marketed as a satire to I Was a Teenage Werewolf, the 1957 drive-in movie horror film that was released by American International Pictures. There's an interesting video on YouTube that kind of goes into American International Pictures. It's produced by this group called the Royal Ocean Film Society, and it talks about how American International Pictures made their movies backwards, where they came up with a title first and a poster, and then made the movie from there. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much how I think this movie happened. Yeah, I think they made this poster, and then they they everyone had a different idea of what that movie was supposed to be, and no one actually had a conversation about it. Nobody talked about it, and then they all went their separate ways. And at the end of the day, they came together and they were like. What the fuck is this? And then somehow it was the second highest grossing movie of 1959. What? (laughs) This was the second (laughs) highest grossing film of 1959. What's it behind? It went Ben-Hur. Wow. The Shaggy Dog. Oh my God. Guess what number three was? Some Like It Hot. What? Some Like It Hot was number three behind The Shaggy Dog. Jesus. Why are you surprised? Talia, how does this movie begin? Oh, it begins with a beautiful choice of stop motion animation, Mm -hmm. which is just some people find nightmare inducing. Some people enjoy it. Nightmare before Christmas, so to speak. It was in black and white, and I just thought the opening was black and white. And then when it opened and like the movie started playing, it was in black and white. I was like, oh, this is... All right, all right, this is the kind of movie we're in for. You mean an old movie? (laughs) Yes, an old movie. Which is weird, because there is a colorized version of it, because if you look at stills of it on IMDb, they're in color. And I think even, like, the title screen on Disney Plus is in color, too. Yeah, they made a colorized version uh, using, I think, the same methods that, like, Ted Turner used to, like, colorize Casablanca in the late 80s. They aired the colorized version on The Wonderful World of Disney a bunch of times throughout, I think, the late 80s and the 90s. Uh, Colorized versions have now gone out of style, which is probably why it's the original black and white that is on Disney+. Plus. But uh, you can find, I think, the colorized version, either uh, clips of it on YouTube, or it might even be in like an old 90s version of the video cassette or DVD. But this was in black and white that we saw. Another reason that it might have been black and white is... According to Tommy Kirk, who is 
The lead? In actuality, the lead, even though he's not credited as the lead. Yeah, we'll get into that. He said that this movie was originally planned to be a two-part Wonderful World of Disney okay, yeah. made-for-TV movie that was only combined into a theatrical feature during shooting or after shooting. He wasn't entirely clear on that in the interview. But basically, the exact same thing that we talked about probably happened on Blackbeard's Ghost apparently definitely did happen in this movie where they were keeping themselves open to the possibility of just airing it on the wonderful world of Disney over two nights. Where the third act reveal of what the plot is. It's about an hour into it, uh, an hour and a half. So that's not quite halfway. Or is this that is an hour. Of... This is an hour and 44 minutes. This is almost All right, a two so hour It's pretty film. much halfway. It's pretty much halfway when they get into the big twist. But Talia, you were talking about our stop motion animation. What do we get during that stop motion animation? Well, of course, you are introduced right away to the shaggy dog, like just running around eating, I believe. <laughs> food <laughs> as dogs, dogs are wont do. to do yeah. <laughs> they generally run around they generally eat food they're generally yelled at by fred mcmurray ah the life of a dog rightfully so <laughs> we get a little bit of uh like voiceover right at the start right there's like three lines of voiceover and then it never comes back for whatever reason oh, the narration yeah it's like it could have happened to anyone anywhere <laughs> you'll never believe it okay so i want to say one other thing so there is a song at the beginning of this, during the stop motion, it was released as a single, as a lot of these Disney songs were. The single version was sung by Roberta Shore, who plays Francesca mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, the song is just, he's the shaggiest dog, dooby-doo-wow. He's the shaggiest dog, dooby-doo-wow. And then they say, he's the spookiest dog. Really, they had some kind of memo that said, we're making a horror movie. And then only like three yeah. people got the memo. Because... There's these very strange references to satirizing I was a teenage werewolf that just are forgotten about for most of the film. Yeah, I never picked up on any of them. Well, like that film poster is just I was a teenage werewolf. He says, I was a teenage boy, which doesn't make any sense as a line to say unless you're directly referencing that movie. And we also get the headline that this movie stars, dun-da-da-da, Fred McMurray and Gene Hagen. Yeah, that's right. Top build, Fred McMurray. Second build, Gene Hagen. I timed how much they're in the movie. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Fred McMurray is in the movie for 24 minutes. Okay. Gene Hagen? Five? Four and a half minutes. Four and a half, yeah. Jesus. They are one and two build. If you watch the trailer to this, there's two things I will point out. One, they say, come see Fred McMurray and Gene Hagen starring in The Shaggy Dog at a theater near you. Oh my god. Two, there's an image of Fred McMurray in the car with the dog. Like, they marketed this as a movie that doesn't exist. Like, none of that happens in the movie. That was actually kind of my first note of this was like... When we get into the actual movie after the credits, was it really sells you on the dad as the main character and the son is secondary? And then, like, five minutes in, completely right throws out that window. plot out the window, but occasionally revisits it throughout. Like, there is – Tommy Kirk's the lead, but there's no lead in this movie. I mean, arguably, the dog is the lead in the movie. Yeah, it's like they, they remembered they had a contract with Fred McMurray, and they, they kept – they were like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You keep showing up to set. Throw him in a scene. <laughs> you, you saying that it's a sitcom, like – or started off as a sitcom almost makes more sense because you're like, okay, I could see like this is the episode about the dad, this is the episode about Whitby. Uh, and you're like, okay, yeah, the, if you play it as like a mini series or whatever it would have been, you're like, all right, yeah, I could see this as like 20 minute episodes of a show. We have this narrator that comes in after the credits end, and the narrator tells us that this is a shaggy dog story. 
Do you know what a shaggy dog story is, Talia? Something so whimsical yet terrifying at the same time that it can only Disney can put it to film. That's a good pitch. That's a good pitch for this movie. Bobby, though, <laughs> do you know what the colloquial understanding of a shaggy dog story is? I can't say I do, but I'm waiting for you to enlighten me. Okay, 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 okay. A shaggy dog story <laughs> is a type of joke. It's a joke with a very rambling kind of non sequitur style uh, body text that ends in an anticlimactic or extremely groan-worthy punchline. God, okay. All of this makes sense. A good example of recent Shaggy Dog stories would be like Norm MacDonald going on talk shows and doing the moth joke. Yeah. That runs for like eight minutes, and then it's just the moth talking about how horrible his life is. And then at the end, the punchline is, well, why'd you come in here? I'm a pediatrician. And the moth says, well, the light was on. But um, coom You know, and that's a shaggy dog story. Uh, another classic example would be the aristocrats joke format. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the yeah. documentary about the aristocrats joke, which is – This family goes into a talent coordinator to pitch their aristocrats routine. And then the format of the joke is you just tell the longest, most vulgar version of a like sexually deviant comic routine. And then at the end, the talent agent says, what the hell is that? And then they go, the aristocrats. And then that's just the joke. And everyone knows what the punchline is. But the point of the joke is to make the body of it so ridiculous and long that it kind of makes people laugh in that way. That's what a shaggy dog story is. Is this a shaggy dog story? Mm, this is a very long-winded film. I mean, it kind of just ends anticlimactically. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. It's long-winded, and it's anticlimactic. Yeah. So maybe? Yeah. But that also just kind of is sounds like it's just two characteristics of a bad yes. movie. So... <laughs> I'm Sorry, sure. I, I I don't want to give Walt Disney any credit for being more meta than we need to with the idea of this. Like, but the film is a Shaggy Dog. It was in the title, and you didn't see it coming. They say at the beginning, "This is a Shaggy Dog story." Like they're clearly announcing it. It just seems badly told. It just seems a story badly told. It's almost like at the end where they're like, "Ah, it's not bad. It's a Shaggy Dog story." Uh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I swear. No, we meant it to be like this. It, it, it's a story about a shaggy dog. I, I do like the fact that, as you said, we get five minutes of, uh, what's his name? Fred McMurray being the lead character of him just basically saying how much he hates dogs and wants to murder them. I, okay, but we do, we are traded to a shot of like a dog being the hero of the town with a medal on the front page of the local newspaper. I mean, like, that was amazing. It's the best. It's the best. And he's just like, ugh. Why did it have to be a dog? Anybody could have done that. These goddamn dogs saving babies. Ugh. He's basically the J. Jonah Jameson of dogs. Yes, he is. Totally. <laughs> it's like, those dogs, ah, bring me pictures of dogs. And then it's revealed that he's a mailman. And I audibly laughed at that. Like, it, it completely, yeah. like, it paid off. There was so much buildup oh, about yeah. how much he hates dogs. And then it just reveals he's a mailman. Everyone knows... Mailmen hate dogs. Dogs hate mailmen. So it actually worked for me in that bit. I laughed. I was like, all right, that's that's clever. So right as we're introduced to Fred McMurray, we do get the last of our narration. Our narrator appears in the movie and says two things. One, this is a shaggy dog story, which is debatable. And two, the lead of our story is Fred McMurray, which is definitely not yeah. true. So the narrator <laughs> comes in to say two false things. The thing about Fred McMurray is that the narrator says, this man loves people, but hates dogs. 
he definitely hates dogs. I'm not sure he loves people. Nope. He seems to hate his son. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah. He care seems for to his be family. have a very frigid relationship with his wife. They, he, he won't even like physically touch her. <laughs> yeah, they don't kiss. They air kiss. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were saying he didn't even start dating until he was 20, which fine. No shame in that. But he's still shy. Well, he's like this Ronald Reagan incel who <laughs> just like hates everybody. He's he's definitely a curmudgeon. So again, this opening narration doesn't <laughs> uh, none of it makes any sense. But Fred McMurray is at the table and he's reading the newspaper and the headline is local dog saves baby. It's the best. And he's like, oh, God, oh, fuck this dog. These dogs. <laughs> and then he says, Who, what do you do? He saved a baby from a burning Anybody building. Anybody could have done that. Anyone can do that. He's like, if I ever see a dog, oh, I'm gonna God, go I'm get gonna my go shotgun and shoot it. What actually, what stood out for me in this scene, um, and it was kind of the only shot in the movie that shot this way, but the conversation between the mother and father is shot like a modern film, where there a lot of these older movies we watch, it's kind of just like one establishing master. Um, yeah. This has a master with coverage of each actor, and it snaps back and forth between the two, and then ends the shot with the master. It has shot reverse shot, you're right. And a lot of the stuff that we're watching has none of that, because Walt Disney kept hiring TV directors. Yeah. Maybe it's because this film was directed by Charles Barton, who has two previous credits that stood out for me. Uh, the first credit is he directed 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. <laughs> the second credit is he directed 1949's Abbott and Costello Meet Boris Karloff. I will note that Boris Karloff yep. did not star oh, in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, <laughs> but did star in Abbott and Costello Meet <laughs> Boris Karloff. Uh, it's actually to the point that when Boris Karloff died, one of the local newspapers in Los Angeles ran the picture of the other actor that played Frankenstein in the newspaper for <laughs> Karloff's death. So that's not that surprising, unfortunately. So anyway, this guy knew how to do shot reverse shot. Yeah. And we also get like two of the three lines that uh, uh, Jean gets. Oh my God. She has like four lines in this movie. But they're good. I don't remember them. I, I like it. She says, she well, she says she's wondering, he's wondering why dogs hate mailmen. She's like, perhaps it's because they always bring bad news. I thought, okay, interesting, interesting method to that, I guess. But they also bring good news, birthday cards. Yeah. To adults, it's all bills. <laughs> it's just taxes. <laughs> well, it's because Fred McMurray's such a curmudgeon. He just seems like he's always bringing bad news. So Gene Hagen uh, was famous for playing Lena Lamont in Singing in the Rain, which we all know as Ms. Uh, well, of course we can talk. Doesn't everybody? Mutual, I'm sure. I did not put that together. I know. Because in that movie, <laughs> she plays an actress who the director does not want her to say any lines. <laughs> and in this movie... The director clearly doesn't want her to say any lines because she has four and a half minutes of screen time despite being second build. Um, after we meet these two parent characters, we're finally introduced to the actual lead of our film. Talia, who is that? Well, that is our beautiful Wilby. That's his name? Played by Tommy Kirk. Because the two kids' names are Moochie and Poochie, right? <laughs> <laughs> you had been saving that one, right? You wrote that down. Moochie and Poochie. Yeah, I wrote that one down. They called the guy Moochie, and this other one's a fucking dog. How could it not be Moochie and Poochie? You know what they called him Moochie? All right, so I'm going to get into this kid. So Check off list, made the Poochie joke. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> His little brother, Moochie, is played by Kevin Corcoran. And Kevin Corcoran was known 
as Kevin Moochie Corcoran because he was in a series of Walt Disney productions and his character was always named Moochie. Jesus. Okay. He was a mouseketeer who wore the shirt and the shirt said Moochie. I was going to say Annette is another one uh, from Babes of Toyland. She's in this too, eh? She's a mousketeer. All the, all the, I think all the teenagers are Mouseketeers. Yeah. Moochie starred in all of these Disney films as Moochie. He was also played Tommy Kirk's younger brother in Swiss Family Robinson. He was in Babes in Toyland. He played Tommy Kirk's younger brother in Old Yeller. He was in Pollyanna. He then, weirdly enough, transitioned into uh, doing AD and producer work for a lot of Disney films. He was a producer on Return from Witch Mountain and uh, Pete's Dragon. Hmm. And Herbie Goes Bananas. He then was an AD and director on Murder, she wrote. So, interesting career there, man. (laughs) At the time, he was known as Moochie. And so, in this film, he's Moochie, which is such a weird thing to go by. They try to play it off as it being a nickname for Montgomery or something. I was so mad. Yeah. No. I was like, you... It's not Monty? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. It would be like if... The slinky dog in Toy Story was named Ernest. Like if just every movie that he was in, he was just called (laughs) Ernest. So we meet Tommy Kirk. We meet Poochie and his younger brother, Moochie. (laughs) Yes. And what are they doing in the basement, Bob? Bobby, you looked like you were going to throw up there. (laughs) (laughs) A little. Only a little bit. Um, He's building an anti-missile rocket. In the basement to deter whatever rocket missiles the Russians assumably have pointed at America at the time. He's blowing up his house, is what he's doing. He's in the basement making a giant pipe bomb blowing up his house. Like a good American. Like every good American at the time. (laughs) Eisenhower gave his build a bomb in your basement speech. Iconic. (laughs) This seems fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To build a bomb in your basement? (laughs) To build build a full-size rocket ship bomb in the basement of the house and then decide to set it off? Kind of like the scene in Lord of the Rings, only with much more damage. <laughs> well, there is a line where he says, turn it off, and he goes, it's not even on. So he doesn't know how to turn it off. Like, it went off accidentally. It's a weird sequence of events to, A, build a fully functional anti-artillery missile. Yeah. B, acquire the materials <laughs> in order to have the combustion to launch yeah. it into, you know, the stratosphere. C, not know how to turn it on or off. That, it's, yeah. it's, it's a weird sequence of events. Well, you know those general stores back then. You could get anything. <laughs> you could get anything. You just I, – because I wrote down, I was like, did he send away for that? Like, was that like 10,000 Bazooka Joe wrappers or something to yeah. like get a fucking missile? Which is funny because – had the new neighbor across the street just realized what Wilby was doing, he wouldn't have needed to do any of the things he did later in the movie. This kid across the street already did it in the basement by himself yeah. with Bazooka Joe rappers. The Russian spies are there to just get missile technology. Little do they know it's in Poochie's basement. So <laughs> they were looking in the wrong place. So I guess that brings it up. Did I miss something? But I was like, they're Russian. He has some sort of a Soviet background, obviously. He's like, I don't know. What's his name again? Sneaky McArt dealer. Yes. <laughs> Sneaky McArt dealer. See, now I don't need to look it up. How are they not suspicious right away? (laughs) (laughs) I told you we should have had a better spy name. (laughs) Next time I choose the names. Uh, Dr. Mikhail Andrassi. 
And Jurassic. You were close. Yeah. Mikael. Yeah, I was pretty close. Sneaky McArt dealer. <laughs> Although there is Professor Plumcut is an actual character's name in this. <laughs> okay, so Tommy Kirk has has lit his anti- it is anti-artillery round rocket from the basement. And it just casually launches up from the living room into the stratosphere, magically yeah. not blowing up the house or killing anybody. It just shoots through the house. I mean, that's pretty impressive onto itself. Well, that's because he evacuates the house. He runs through the house and gets the whole family out onto the front lawn. Like it's a fire drill. Yeah. Which they've probably had to do many times. Yeah. And Bobby, I mean, if we could attest to the Rain of Fire episode, you're all for having a good fire drill. Oh, yeah, for sure. Have a drill. Have a plan. Have a muster point. Like, where are you going to yep. meet in case of an emergency? Obviously, this was not the first time Tommy Kirk had almost blown up the house. They knew what to do. Yep. To the point that the dad wasn't even stressed about it. He just got up, grabbed the pot of coffee, and went on the front lawn. I was a little mad that the choice of dishes that uh, the mom grabbed, I was like, ooh, I don't think those are really going to appreciate in value over time. Maybe you should grab something else, but... You do you. That's okay. <laughs> well, she she did better than Fred McMurray because as they're running out, she says, well, save something. And panicked, <laughs> he runs around in circles three times and then grabs the coffee pot. <laughs> and then, so the rocket, they're on the front lawn. The rocket goes off, shoots straight through the house. It, it, into space, directly into space, like stock footage of one of the launches. Yeah, we never see it land. We never see it explode. It's presumably reached it's orbit, in orbit. or yeah. re- Today. Yeah. It's still there. And that little boy was Elon Musk. <laughs> Thank you to Poochie's Rocket. We are now recording this podcast. You wanted to know why she picked this movie. <laughs> so, like, his dad says, enough of this. You got to get rid of your rockets and your chemistry sets and all your animals and stuff. Because he's like a mad scientist. Oh, yeah. He's, he's like, you got to get rid of all those chemicals, all those explosives, all the animals you're... He's doing tests on like what is he doing down there he has chemicals and animals and rockets we know what the rockets for but what are the chemicals and animals is he like the reanimator down there yeah when they're cleaning out the basement there's like a taxidermy owl in the back at one point this couldn't happen to anyone this is karma getting back at him (laughs) for all the animal testing he did (laughs) the borsas were actually just animal lovers yeah and the curse is just about people who would who would deign to test on animals. There is a nice shot when they're outside and they're watching the rocket go up when Fred McMurray is frustrated with Wilby. He almost pours the pot of coffee on his son's head, but then restrains. Wilby has a weird line here where he says, boy, it sure would be nice to be riding that rocket right now, Dad. I think the line is supposed to be like, I wish I wasn't here about to be assaulted by my father with hot coffee. But the way he says it, I'm like... Is he going to ride it like Slim Pickens and Dr. Strangelove? Like, what is he imagining? It's literally just like a, a missile rocket. Like, there's no, there's nothing to ride on. Like, what did, what was he like? Boy, it would be nice to be riding that right now. Yeehaw. But he says, I always seem to rub him the wrong way. Why? He said, like, Poochie says that. I'm like, you shot a fucking rocket through his house. You could have killed everybody. And he's like, ah, I always seem to rub him the wrong way. What the fuck? Yeah. He's like, maybe the problem is you. <laughs> yeah, the problem is clearly you, Poochie. Next, he's going to start fixing the roof, but Buzz pulls up across the street to go on a date with Annette Funicello. Is she, is she, is she just credited as Annette in this? No, she, she, she's Annette Funicello, isn't it? She's not Annette. Talia, that's a reference to the fact we talked about babes in Toyland, and in that Toyland, Annette Funicello is credited just as Annette, as if she's become Cher. 
Um, <laughs> I don't think that lasted very long. No. There's like, hun, there's so many Annettes. <laughs> yeah, but they would have had him done the same thing in this if it was the case. It would have just been Moochie as the kid. Like, that would have been his only credit. Well, that would work. Why didn't he go as Moochie? Yeah. There's only one Moochie. Yeah. Moochie as himself. <laughs> that would have been the credit. Moochie as himself. And Tommy Kirk is Poochie. <laughs> Buzz pulls up across the street in his weird little toy hot rod. I That's the smallest hot rod I've ever seen. Is that how all cars were in the 50s? Like, what was the deal with that thing? Um, I think it's a certain type of car. He built it himself. In his basement? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A single child <laughs> yeah. in this whole town just has a laboratory in their basement. I like how Buzz has a buzz cut. He's the most Buzz looking guy I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah, God, I think. Yeah. Like, if I, if I was to rank buzzes that look like a buzz, you have Buzz Aldrin at number three, Buzz Lightyear at number two, and this dude, number one with a bullet, he's the most buzz I've ever seen. Oh, Home Alone doesn't even make the list. He doesn't support that kind of bully. He didn't hit the podium. <laughs> There's no medal for fourth place. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That, that buzz is woof, is all I have to say. Ooh, good one. <laughs> Bobby, what happens next? So as they're, um, he's there to pick up Annette to go and play tennis with her. But as Tommy Kirk and Buzz are looking, they notice there's a new neighbor moving in across the street, and they instantly they have they have to go and meet her. Um, and Buzz just lets Annette just sit in the car forever because that was my note. Was they literally leave Annette in the car? I mean, it's not like they can close the door or anything. It's, it's an op- it's a ragtop car. You can just see her. Well, I don't even think it has a roof. No, like, even tucked away. Halfway through, she just gets up and walks back in the house, and she's like, "I guess I'm not going on a date then." Like, it's so fucking dumb. Yeah, no tennis today. I guess the boy was supposed to take me out is gonna go talk up this other girl. So this other girl is Francesca, who is the daughter of our Soviet spies, that being Dr. Bick Art. Steely? Sneaky McArt dealer. Sneaky McArt dealer. Steely to his friends. <laughs> but to you, Poochie, I'm McArt dealer. <laughs> the full name, Poochie. And Francesca is one of the most annoying characters I've ever seen. I don't mind the actress. Roberta Shore does a perfectly fine job with this. She's like 16 in this. She looks a lot older. Well, yeah, most most of the kids in this yeah. are actually, because Annette's also, she's like 16 or 17 as well. She's 17. Weirdly enough, Poochie is 18. Oh, he is? Okay. He's like the oldest, and he, he comes across quite a bit younger, but, you know, girls mature faster. Um, but she's only 16. She looks quite a bit older, and I think she does a good job, but the character is extremely annoying. Maybe possibly intentionally, but she keeps speaking French in a horrible French accent. So much so that I didn't realize she was supposed to be Russian. Oh, yeah. I thought the family was French. I don't know what they are. Like, they're, they're a mishmash. I guess that's the best way to be a spy. You come in, your spy is Steely McArt dealer, your daughter is <laughs> speaking weird broken French, and, you know, immigration <laughs> office is like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. Let him in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, where the fuck are you from? Some indeterminate European country. Someone named Steely McArt dealer is least likely to steal art. <laughs> two on the nose. It can't be him. What's the dog's name? The dog's name is Chiffon. It's played by a dog named Sam. And we'll maybe get into the details, but I will just say right now, that is some excellent dog acting in this movie. Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
give the Oscar to that dog. Give the dog the yeah. $10,000. Yeah, the, the award for, like, goodest boy goes to Sam the dog. Like, he was amazing in this movie. There's really weirdly bad dog puppetry, which <laughs> may or may not just be them actually, Fuck. like, moving the dog's head back and forth. I don't know what was going on. Yes. Some of it there is. Some of it is you can see they've angled it with shots where, like, they're hiding the hand and the guy's just making the dog's mouth move. That stuff is weird. But when the dog has to, like, do stuff in wide shots, oh, my God. It's great. It's great. We'll get to the details of it, but there's some great dog acting. But then there's also shots. Did they have, like, a puppet for any of it? There's some puppets. There's there's a little bit of puppet. There's a mix. There's also a guy in a dog costume (laughs) in at least one occasion. I don't know. It's Is it Frank Oz again? Frank Oz in a dog costume. (laughs) (laughs) Bring in Frank Oz. (laughs) There was – I thought some stuff in the museum. There was, like, some uh, dog puppet work or something, and it just had, like, the deadest eyes – it was – did anybody else see that or no? Oh, yeah. There was some soulless eyes for sure. So getting back to the scene where they meet Francesca, Francesca is moving in across the street with her Boris and Natasha parents. <laughs> but it's just it's just Boris because she has no it's mom. It's just Boris. Yeah. So what happens next, Talia? Oh, so we get to hear what half a French accent sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, again, I was like, okay, this is fun. And then she continues it throughout the entire movie. I'm like, oh. Yeah. That's what's being 16 and you go to a different country, you learn a little bit of the language and you come back and you're like, by the way, guys, (laughs) I am France. (laughs) She's like the most annoying person who came back after a summer abroad. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where they're just like, oh, I have an accent now. Just like, no, you don't. (laughs) Stop pretending. (laughs) I will mention right now, there's one of the weirdest racist jokes in any of these Disney movies. Uh, we do play our regular game, Spot That Racism. They go up to Francesca because Chiffon, the dog, has run up to Wilby and has licked him on the face. So they bring the dog back to try to introduce themselves to this beautiful new girl across the street. And she starts speaking French to them because she's the annoying girl from spent two months abroad. And <laughs> they, in response, start speaking broken pigeon English. Me bring dog you. Basically, they're doing like caveman English. They're doing I Tarzan, you Jane kind of stuff. And then she turns to her father and says, oh, these nice Indian boys have brought the dog back. And then they say, oh, no, no, we're not. And it's like... They're clearly white kids. Like, I don't understand the joke. Is the joke she's honestly confused? Yeah, the guy was wearing, hello, my name is Buzz name Is tag. she honestly confused? Is she, like, ins- like insult? I don't, I don't understand the joke. It's extremely offensive, but it's so incomprehensible that I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah. Which is how casual. Yeah. Again, you had to pause. It's like, wait. And she says it as if it makes sense. I'm like, is this supposed to be a laugh line? Is this a joke? What is happening here? All right. At any rate, she invites them in. Let's get past that. (laughs) All right. So she brings them into the house to show them around. And inside this house is just, it's just chock full of priceless artifacts and artwork. They've apparently hauled all of this priceless art to then abandon it a week later. We'll get to that. I don't know what their plan is, but... I don't know, Steely art dealer sure has a lot of stolen art. Particularly, she brings them to a vase that has been placed on the most precarious, like, stand I have ever seen. <laughs> the stand is, like, six and a half feet tall, and it's, like, 
a foot wide. It's basically the kind of thing that you would put a vase on if the I didn't do it boy was going to walk out like a minute later. (laughs) It's the most, and of course they knock it over and it almost crashes and it's this priceless heirloom, but it's just like, why? You have a dog. Why did you It's even more ridiculous when you think about the fact that they were moving in that day. Yes, like, this is the first thing you unpack. Is this grandma? What is? <laughs> yeah, is is the like three to four thousand dollar vase on the ricketiest stand you have in the middle of the room? Yeah, perfection. <laughs> they have to like haul yeah. a piano around it. It's insane. It catches the light. Sean, I did want to ask: Did you do the math? Three to four thousand dollars. What is that worth in today's oh, money? It's about thirty to forty thousand. In like fifty nine, it's about ten times the the forty thousand dollar vase on the ricketyest like end table you possibly have. But it's insured. So they're just trying to get it broken. It's what's happening. That's how Steve McGar dealer makes all his cash. <laughs> yeah. And this butler Friday McInsurance. <laughs> <laughs> was was Francesca dubbed throughout this? Whole I mean, scene? a lot of a lot of film was just ADR'd at this yeah. time. So like there because cameras and things are so loud, there's a good chance like most of her dialogue is just ADR'd. Well, they had like those big ridiculous cameras, you know, with the two big loops, and they're just sending 35 millimeter through. <laughs> you know, like it's I don't know how they ever got any kind of usable sound. To be perfectly honest, even like some some friends of mine on the West Coast shoot with like a thirty like uh, with a film camera like an Aria one. And, like, that thing's not that big, and that thing's still fucking loud. Like, you can't even really use audio for it. Francesca has to bring some of these artifacts to the art gallery. She's sent by her father stealing the <laughs> art gallery teacher. He now works at art gallery and is a teacher? Crime doesn't pay. <laughs> Crime doesn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have three jobs. <laughs> it's tough out there. It's tough out there for a spy. So, um... <laughs> She has to take this stuff to the art gallery. And when she gets there, Buzz ditches him and tries to take Francesca alone somewhere so that he can ask her out we on gotta, a date. We got to say one thing. There, there cuts to uh, – A like, contractually obligated Fred McMurray scene that has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, I liked his – he had a good line. Um, I, it just, I wrote it down. He said, it's a blasted, dreaded dog. They're looking out the window because, again, he's, he doesn't like anybody. He's like yeah. spying on the neighbors like an old curmudgeon man. And he's like, they've brought a camel. Yeah. How dare they? And so he's he, – first of all, he's yeah. angry about the – idea that they have a camel and then he looks again and he says that's not a camel it's a dog and he's even angrier about the dog but first of all yeah he still didn't really like the idea of a camel like this guy just hates everything (laughs) like he's not just anti-dog and then the the wife actually has a few lines of dialogue here um i didn't write them all down but she like basically knows absolutely everything about this family that moved in five seconds ago um, it's one of the funniest things. She basically explains the entire backstory, the whole cover story of Steely McArt Dealer. And I'm like, how the fuck did she know well, any of this? Well, she's a gossiping <laughs> housewife, right? I like this line of like, I don't want to know where you get your information, but please continue. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen anything more accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so after we cut back to our other story uh, with Fred McMurray, the, the Fred McMurray sitcom. After we cut back to <laughs> yeah. this episode of My Three Sons, uh, we go back to um, uh, the shaggy dog. And so Wilby is at the art gallery all alone. What happens, Talia? So he goes into an exhibit looking for them, which is an insane exhibit. <laughs> like, I don't know what what this is for. <laughs> I have the exact same notice. What the fuck part of the museum is this? <laughs> he walks into Madame Tussauds wax gallery. And it's terrifying. <laughs> And it's dark. And I'm like, what era of history is this? 
And there's no other <laughs> wax museum, wax like characters in the rest of the museum. Just this evil haunted room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, the ROM, take notes. This is fun. <laughs> just like one room in the ROM is just yeah. a bunch of wax characters chopping off each other's heads. They should. That's the element of Halloween that should be here all year round. Okay, so he goes into Madame Tussauds' gallery. So he thinks he sees something move in the corner. And I have to say, I was genuinely curious what happens next. Boys. <laughs> this scene, again, I think goes back to this whole concept that this movie was Build as a satire of a horror movie. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. That makes and sense. And so there yeah, are sequences where it seems to keep teasing you as if it's like, oh, it's going to be scary. But they come and go very briefly. And then the movie very quickly forgets that they happened. To the extent that I'm just always confused. Every scene, it just feels like it's being made by someone who didn't see the previous 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> so, and it turns out it is the uh, curator of this horrifying exhibit, Professor Plumcott, who is curating this exhibit on ancient Italian sorcerers. It's what he describes it as, essentially. But then he specifies that... It's things like the Borgia. We got a reference to the Borgia earlier at Francesca's house where she has a painting of the Borgia of a uh, Italian woman with a clearly magical amulet around her neck. Uh, I've never seen a more magical looking amulet in my life. And <laughs> she's beside a sheepdog, a Batislavian Batis sheepdog, whatever the sheepdog breed is that's in this movie a uh, bratislavian i'm just gonna say syllables and then i'll combine them in the edit yeah a <laughs> somehow i'll make that into ra, a word ra, la, um, nah. so she's, she's sitting with a dog she's sitting with a dog and uh francesca explains that the borgias were this evil family in italy except she says this weird thing where they they were this sorcery family from the dark ages which is weirdly wrong like the dark ages are <laughs> early middle ages you know like i guess it's slang you can kind of be referring to different things but usually you're referring to like pre 1000 you know maybe you're talking about up to 1200 or something the borgias are renaissance they're like the contemporaries with the medici family you know they're like post discovery of america they're like 16th century shit they're not from the dark ages so i don't know why they just dis- they have one fact they give about the borgias and that fact is wrong so it probably came from that narrator at the beginning who was wrong about everything <laughs> sorry just on IMDb <laughs> trivia. And it was like, Gregory Peck was the second choice for the role of Wilson Daniels. And then it was, Tommy Kirk was impressed how realistic Fred McMurray's toupees were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they wrote that down. Yeah. I know. That <laughs> someone somewhere on the internet re- read an interview with Tommy Kirk was like, I'm putting that in this movie. That's going on IMDb trivia. <laughs> We're browsing on Shaggy Dog on IMDb. I'm like, oh, I know what I can add. I'm also glad that you interrupted my historical lesson on the board. So You're yeah. like, Sean, nobody wants to hear this. What they want to hear about was Fred McMurray's toupees and how authentic they were to Tommy Kirk. If I know one thing about Fred McMurray, good toupees. The best. So uh, Professor Plumcott explains to him that all of these people were big into sorcery. And Tommy Kirk goes, you don't really believe in that, do you? 
And he says, oh, I totally believe in sorcery and shapeshifters and all that kind of stuff. And then he has another line. There are moments on dark and lonely nights when something stirs within us and reawakens ancient fears and beliefs. That line is insane unless it is a reference to I was a teenage werewolf. Like, seriously, all of these things that make no sense in the movie make a lot more sense when you realize they were satirizing mm. a movie that came out two years previously. Because that's a line that basically – that's it's basically word for word the line that the scientist gives in I was a teenage werewolf, the one who turns him into a werewolf. Oh, really? Yeah. Out of context, none of that plays. None of that plays. It's a weird thing to say out of nowhere. Where you're just like, what the fuck is going on with Professor Plumcott? <laughs> like, when did this come from? Yeah, they they just started talking. <laughs> like, that's all. He can't wait to start spilling the supernatural. Like, he leads with that. He's like, I don't know why I don't have any friends. What do you want me to <laughs> say to that? <laughs> um, I do like the way he refers to the delightfully evil Borgia days. <laughs> He's kind of my favorite in those. Like, that's my favorite part where he's Professor scares, Plumcott? Um, yeah. When he scares Poochie and he's just laughing at him for like five seconds. I'm like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. He's just fucking with this teenage kid who doesn't, he doesn't know who he is. He's just like, you're in here. You're not supposed to be. I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to tell you that on a dark and lonely night, something horrible stirs within all of us. Reawakens ancient and evil beliefs. Run, run. He made sure he was a core memory for him. So as Tommy Kirk is leaving, as he has enough of, Professor Plumcott's scary, spooky stories. Um, he trips and falls on a bunch of magical rings. Yeah, they did set it up. He almost smashed the vase. And he gets one of these magical rings caught in his trousers and brings it home with him, moping and shuffling his legs. And Yeah, it's because Francesca and Buzz left him at the museum. Rude. Yeah, and now they're going to go on a sweet date. They're going to the dance together, Francesca and Buzz. And Poochie is left cleaning out all of his taxidermy equipment from the basement. <laughs> And so him and his little brother, Moochie, are gathering up all their chemistry equipment in the basement. And he comes across the magical ring that was caught in his trousers and then proceeds to try to read the Latin on it. And what happens in this scene, Bobby? Traguna Lucoya Dracorum Sedis D. That's exactly what happens in the scene. It's the same writer. And this guy has one go-to move. And the move is... You see Latin, you start chanting that in a musical cadence, because that's what happens here in this scene. It, it is substitutionary locomotion, for sure. Yeah, the exact line is, in canis corpore transmuto, but then he starts singing it for some reason. 20 years before bed knobs and broomsticks. It's a weird <laughs> moment. This, this was the second highest grossing film of 20, or, uh, 1959, so I mean, if it worked once, why not do it again 20 years later? So... He has this cursed Borgia ring. He says the cursed Borgia ring words. He then sings the cursed Borgia ring words. And at that point, he starts the transformation into a dog. Now, I will point out that the transformation also is the exact same special effect as I was a teenage werewolf. It is the dissolve with the watery intermediary. That's the exact same effect they used to transform him into a werewolf in that movie. So again, it's a straight up satire. Am I the only one who made this note? Uh, I said, wait, are you telling me it's not Tim Allen that turns into the dog? I thought it was Fred McMurray who turns into the dog. 
because I did not know anything about I this. I also assumed it was Fred McMurray. Yeah. Be- because this movie doesn't know who its lead actor is, it should be Fred McMurray turning into a dog, living the life of a dog, learning the dogs aren't so bad, and coming back home a changed man who loves his family. That would be a much better movie. Right? That would make a lot more sense. Where were you when we were in the writing room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all had the same thought here, right? We thought it was going to be Fred McMurray. I, he's not, I don't even understand why he's in this movie. He's top build. He has no plot yeah. relevance. He doesn't do anything. It's like Drew Barrymore in Scream. He just gets killed. Do you like shaggy dog stories? He's like, no, and hangs up the phone. It would be great if he got eaten by a dog. Is <laughs> he got killed by the dog <laughs> in the first scene? Yeah. No, that's a movie. They do the psycho switch with Fred McMurray. <laughs> He goes out to like get the newspaper and the dog just kills him. <laughs> then it just it's just all it is is a white picket fence, right? And you just see this you just see like oh, get the newspaper, bends down, all of a sudden you see this dog jump up over top of the white picket fence, they fall down out of camera, screams. <laughs> and like the blood comes down and makes like the words the shaggy dog. <laughs> No, that would be great because then Tommy Kirk would have a reason to hate dogs. And then when Tommy Kirk becomes a dog, he's at war with himself. Dogs killed my father and yet I am a dog. See, this internal conflict that makes great psychological studies that make great cinema. They missed their chance. It was supposed to be a horror movie. Okay, now our movie is just about a serial killer dog stuck in (laughs) (laughs) One year later, everyone at the high school is scared that the dog will strike again. (laughs) All right. Well, this movie's already like 20% better. Like Cujo, but worse. <laughs> it can talk. Except this dog can drive a car. <laughs> running people down. Oh, God. Uh, where are we in the movie? So he's transformed into the dog. There's a really awful shot of Tommy Kirk pretending he's looking in the mirror that is like turned to face camera so you can see his face. The mirror cheat is, yeah, I, it's, so- it's insane. I whispered cinema. <laughs> <laughs> like martin scorsese (laughs) now that's cinema so but we once he is fully transformed we are gifted one of the best examples of dog acting that i have ever seen when that dog creeps up the stairs of the basement to the main floor and then creeps out the front door of the house like he's on his tiptoes i don't know i didn't know a dog could walk on his tiptoes i didn't know that was physically possible let alone you could train a dog to literally go like ding 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 like a cartoon character it was amazing like i really hope oscar isaac is taking notes for the metal gear solid movie like this is how you sneak on camera and make it believable i always thought that the uh the thing was probably one of the best dog acting that i've ever seen but this dog in in this movie, like, he does so many, like, stunts, I'm gonna call it, like, legitimately, and, like, just, as you said, tiptoed, hit its cue, like, conveyed emotion with its, like, it conveyed story with what it was doing, and it was a dog, mind you. It, like, it was perfect. It drives a car, Rob, okay? It drives a car. <laughs> <laughs> it- and then steals another car. <laughs> it drives multiple cars. Okay, so the dog sneaks out the front door. Um, when when Tommy Kirk transforms into the dog, Chiffon disappears into the ether. Yeah, yeah, that's a what plot happens point. 
I don't, yeah, I don't understand that either. No. Uh, how does the magic work? Because oh. like the dog is descendant from the same line of dogs the bourgeois Borgia had, so I don't know if it's supposed to be that the dog is tied to the magic, because it is referenced that he's one of the last of the breed that's descended from that line. It's almost as if they had this story and they had a story meeting and they're like, okay, he becomes a dog. And somebody was like, okay, does he transform into the dog or does he go into the body of a dog? And they were like, we'll decide it later. And then they never decided. They seem to do both, but it makes no sense. Yeah. Someone wrote a scene where he goes over to Francesca's house and they're just like, but won't they notice that they have two dogs? And they're like, fuck. Uh, the other dog disappears. <laughs> we'll get to the end of the movie, then this plot makes no fucking sense at mm-hmm. all. At the very mm-hmm. end of the film. No, they should have workshopped this. It seems like a lot of the plot of this is the kind of things where somebody writes a note underneath and says, this but better, but then nobody did the but better part. <laughs> no one went back to do a second pass. Yeah, they, they just saw they just saw that this, and we're like, okay, cool, I'll just keep going. I, I haven't seen... The Tim Allen remake of this movie. I have not seen that either, no. Um, But I remember a trailer where Tim Allen is playing a dog. I think the Tim Allen remake is actually a remake of the Shaggy DA. Okay. Because, like, in my brain, I thought it was a Freaky Friday situation where the dog went into Tim Allen? The, like, Fred McMurray, and Fred McMurray went into the dog. Oh, maybe he does. Maybe that is that. I don't know. Maybe that's what that plot is. Maybe oh my they switch brains. Because <laughs> they both say the same thing at the same time, except it's just bark. <laughs> it's just bark. barks. They're just barking just at each bark. other. And then their brains switch. They do the exact same shot where their faces like are superimposed over one another. <laughs> no, I thought that's what it was. Is this a historic moment where this is like the first movie from the early 2000s Robbie did not see in theaters? Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, no, I was burnt by uh, 2002's Big Trouble starring Tim Big Allen. Big Trouble with Tim Allen. <laughs> Every time. Um, <laughs> it's your theme song. Somehow the magic has both transformed him into a dog and put him into the body of a dog. Not really clear what's going on here. Uh, but he has run out of the house because he knows that his father has sworn to murder any dog he sees with a shotgun, which he owns. With the loaded... Loaded shotgun that he keeps in the broom closet by the front door. Which his youngest son has the key to. It's the, yeah. It's like the worst safety protocols. Not only does he keep this loaded shotgun in the closet, the closet is locked, but who keeps the key to that closet? His young son, Moochie. <laughs> Moochie. It's like, here, Moochie, please look after my gun key. I thought he looked familiar. He's the kid from The Sixth Sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, do you want to see my father's gun collection, kid? That is him. Yeah, he yeah, had a cameo yeah. in that there movie. Oh, yeah, Sixth yeah, yeah, Sense is wow. actually a, you know, a stealth sequel to The Shaggy Dog. It's a touchstone film, so it is a Disney film. It could be a sequel. You know what we say to that? <laughs> what a twist. Okay, talk about the rest of the movie as fast as possible. And then the dog breaks up a spy ring. The end! <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Talia. Come back next time for The Shaggy DA. But okay, like... What the, what the fuck? That is the actual fucking <laughs> I'm not sure how much we even need to go into more detail, because it makes about as much sense as what I just said. The dog breaks up a spy ring, an international spy ring. How does the dog do it? I don't know. Like, the dog accidentally follows them to a pier? No, he on purpose follows them to the he pier. He drives a car. 
We're skipping to the part that any of us like, which is the dog drives the car. Okay, but before the dog the dog drives the car, let's just briefly talk about here. So he runs away from home. He goes back to the museum because he he has to he has to explain to the professor like, professor, I turned into a yep. dog because of your evil ring, and the professor is just like, oh yeah, sure, this totally adds up. It's the best. The professor's like, oh yeah, cool, I get it. Yeah, I don't know what to do. He's yeah. like, LOL, you mad? <laughs> the, the, the professor's <laughs> line is almost like, ah, oh, when you came in here, I was like, that kid's going to accidentally turn into a dog, I think. He <laughs> <But he> basically <laughs> says that. <laughs> this is the thing. And then when he says, like, it was this it was this ring that you had. And he's like, oh, thanks. I was looking for that. And he takes it and puts it on his pile yeah. of magical rings. And then he's like, fuck <laughs> off. Give me my ring back and get the fuck out of here, dog. He tells him to be happy and keep a stiff upper lip. Yeah. <laughs> but he also says, like, you'll turn back if you do good deeds. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe turn back if you commit an act of heroism. Oh, yeah. That's a really weird part because he says, have you ever heard the story of the Hound of Florence? And at that point, you're like, oh, you mean the novel by Felix Salter, who wrote Bambi, that's what you're referencing? The book that this is based on? Probably that's what happened to you. This fictional novel by the author of Bambi is what I'm referencing to explain what has happened yeah, to you. If I had a nickel. If I had a nickel for every time. I had to refer to an obscure text <laughs> to explain to someone why their life is upside down. They have like maybe 25 cents. <laughs> Someone goes up to this guy and they're like, my mother was shot. Have you ever heard of Bambi? <laughs> I know what you need to hear right now. <laughs> he just has a collection of Felix Salter stories. This is a professor. Like, maybe he has his doctorate in literary studies and all he did was just study like his author's works for his like PhD. He's, he's always trying to bring the conversation back into like one of this guy's stories. This is like the easiest time. He's like, holy fuck. <laughs> I don't even have to reach. You were turned into a dog. <laughs> This is uh, the scene where there's some, like, very, very clearly puppet with doll's eyes for the dog in this scene, I think, right? The chasm between the quality of dog acting and puppetry is shocking. <laughs> like, you'll go for a – there'll be, like, a wide shot where, like, the dog comes in riding a unicycle and juggling. And, like, it'll go into a close-up and it's just, like, a sock puppet, the worst fucking thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. I expect more from the dog puppet. <laughs> We have higher puppet standards. Well, based based on the quality of dog acting, that is not an unreasonable request. All right. So uh, he's gotten his explanation. He's been told the story of the Hound of Florence. It's a good book. You should buy it sometime and watch any movie that it's adapted into. Uh, what happens next? So the professor's like, LOL, go have fun. You're a dog now. That's okay. That's not so bad. He's like, I wish I was a dog instead of a fucking museum curator. Surrounded by my cursed artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> he tries all the rings and he's like, none of them turn me into a dog. And then he sees this kid come in. He's a dog. He's like, ah. So I guess we'll, uh, Pucci decides to go home. You know, what else do you do after a long day? And we get our scene where he goes into his bedroom and puts on pajamas. <laughs> where the dog puts on pajamas. The, the, no, because we're introduced to my favorite subplot of the movie that is this police officer slowly oh losing God. his mind over the course of a matter of days. <laughs> This poor guy. He keeps seeing the dog and Wilby keeps speaking to him and the officer keeps looking back thinking a young boy spoke to him, but it's always a dog. And this comes up several times and I, like I say, this this could be a horror movie in itself as this officer slowly losing his mind. Okay, so he drives this police officer insane by apologizing to him when the police officer almost trips over him. Then he goes home, goes up to his bedroom, which he shares with Moochie. 
and goes to his dresser, takes his pajamas out of his dresser, goes into the bathroom, puts the pajamas on, brushes his teeth, then leaves the bathroom, closes the door, climbs into bed, and pulls the covers up around himself. Now, with the exception of a puppet shot of him pulling the pants over his rear end, that's pretty much all the dog doing it. And the puppet brushing its teeth. Well, the brushing the teeth, there's a human, somebody, somebody's, somebody else is working the toothbrush there. Yeah, but uh, pretty much the rest of it is this dog operating all yeah. of these mechanisms. And it's it, amazing. It, he does it all in like one shot. He does it all in one shot in pajamas. A sheepdog <laughs> in pajamas does all of these things. And it is delightful. What a good bedtime routine. And, and I mean, you gotta, you gotta admire Wilby's like, well, my life is in shambles. I'm a dog, but I have to stick to my routine. Gotta brush my teeth. He's holding on to that shred of psychological sanity that he still yeah, has. Yeah, it, it is the metamorphosis. It doesn't matter that he's a giant cockroach, he still has to go to work. <laughs> so if if Poochie put on pajamas to go to bed, but he was running around naked the rest of the time, like, do you think that was fucking with his psyche? No, because there's this weird subplot of he always wears his normal clothes when he's transformed back into a dog and i only point that out because later on at the like fancy dress dance we are all robbed of the shot that is the dog in a tuxedo yeah if you thought the girls loved him before <laughs> <laughs> that means that if if uh if poochie had waken up woken up in the morning and was transformed back into uh tommy kirk he would have been wearing his clothes and pajamas i you are vastly overthinking the magic in this movie I don't think they thought through any of this. No, yeah. Okay, but he doesn't wake up as a boy. He he wakes up as a dog once again, and his brother Moochie says, Oh my god, I have a dog. And Poochie says, I'm your brother Wilby, I'm not a dog. And then Moochie's like, shut up, dog. It's actually kind of funny, their little relationship, because Moochie like immediately like tries to like subjugate him oh, as a pet uh, he like gets a collar out immediately he's like i'm gonna walk you he, now. like buys a book how to train your dog like he's actually going to train his brother to be a dog <laughs> and is horribly disappointed when his brother turns human again he actually has a line that's like i think i liked you better when you were a dog there's no think there i liked you better when you were a dog he does say that <laughs> my next line is what kind of fucking name is moochie the name he was known by <laughs> When he passed people on the street, they would go, hey, Moochie. He was cursed by Walt Disney to go by that name. I'm going to call you Moochie. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and he's just like, no. His, his name is Kevin. <laughs> his name was Kevin. And what's your name, young man? My name is Kevin. <laughs> no. It's Moochie. At, the, at the, like, the Mouseketeer <laughs> auditions, they got like Annette Funicello comes up. And uh, she does her audition. She starts singing. And Walt Disney says, you know, you're going to be a star. Uh, we're going to call you Annette. Just Annette. You're going to be a musketeer. It's going to say Annette across the chest. You know, I'm going to put you in a bunch of movies. You're going to be great. All right. Next, Kevin Corcoran comes in, does his audition. And Walt Disney goes, great. You're going to be a star. I'm going to give you a shirt. <laughs> On the chest, it's going to say Moochie. <laughs> We're going to call you Moochie. Everything's going to be Moochie. People will be screaming, Moochie, Moochie, come over here, Moochie. And it worked. (laughs) What can you even say? We're saying it. We're doing it. Are Are you sure? Are you sure, Mr. Disney? Are you sure Kevin wouldn't be? I've Listen, we've already got past this. All right. Do you want to be a Musketeer or not? You're Moochie. It would have been like the guy before him. 
the guy before him was named Kevin, so he's like, oh, we can't call you Kevin. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we only have one Kevin shirt, so I hope this works out. What's your name? Kevin. What's your name? Uh, Moochie. It's a good thing we made a Moochie shirt. I like this world where, like, Disney made one shirt with every name. Every name. Go to the M's. Go to the M's. Do we got a Moochie? It would be better if you only made like 10 shirts. <laughs> One of them was Moochie. <laughs> like, that's how they did the auditions. They're like, Do we have an Annette? Is there anyone here named Annette? Annette Funicello comes up. Annette, okay, you get to be a Mouseketeer. We got an Annette shirt. Okay, do we have a uh, Moochie? <laughs> it's like an overzealous parent. Like, yes, yes, my son is a Moochie. <laughs> Kevin's like, Mom, Mom, <laughs> Mom, my name is Kevin. Shut, Shut up, up, Kevin. Moochie. You're Moochie now. <laughs> Guard, Kevin doesn't pay the bills, Moochie. You go up there. This is why your father left us. <laughs> what the fuck scenario are we making up right now? The average child star's life. She's not wrong. <laughs> the casting is based on the t-shirt. <laughs> I love that casting call. Looking for a Moochie type? <laughs> Size medium. <laughs> Preferably a summer. <laughs> There's a role for everyone. It, it, look, it got Mochi like a 10-year career with Disney. Look, what can we even say? What's what's awful is there wasn't a kid who was actually named Mochi who just slept in that day. <laughs> what are we talking about? I guess back to this movie. What's this movie about? The son's got to sneak out of the house because he knows his dad hates dogs. His, his younger brother even says, gee, I hope Pop doesn't shoot you. Which sounds like an exaggeration a small child would give, but no. Uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. No, not, not, not this small child holds the key to the gun cabinet. He knows it's not an empty threat. Because you are immediately followed by a sequence of the father trying to shoot this dog and shooting the family's laundry instead. I feel so mad about the laundry. It, it's not even like he thought twice about it his first reaction like this is the moment i've been waiting for moochie get moochie get the shotgun this is the moment i've been waiting for moochie says it's the neighbor's dog you can't shoot the neighbor's dog and fred mcmurray says like hell i can't grabs his shotgun runs into the street and starts shooting wildly at a dog the fact that the next scene is not his incarceration is insane to me (laughs) i know I was just like, is this just allowed in 1959? (laughs) If if, if a dog comes on your property, are you allowed to shoot indiscriminately in suburbia? In 1959, you weren't allowed to own any gold, but you could run through the streets with a shotgun (laughs) shooting wildly into the air. They gotta keep it fair, you know? You can't take away all the rights. Those were the Eisenhower years, those beautiful Eisenhower years. And then he wakes up, right? Like, he, he turns back into a human. Well, he goes to Francesca's house, and this oh, yeah. is where he, as a dog, they welcome him back because he looks like or is Chiffon. Still not very clear whether he just looks like or is Chiffon. They think that Chiffon had ran away, even though, the, like, the house was locked. So they put him into a upstairs, and he jumps down the laundry chute. Again, a sweet scene yeah. where a little dog jumps down a laundry chute. And then he goes in the basement and tries to get out the window. And the dog operates a ladder. And, like, puts it up against the 
the wall and then climb said yeah, ladder. Their their entire mechanism for directing this was to just like set up a camera with a fifty millimeter lens in a wide and just like watch <laughs> this dog act out the scene in a oneer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the dog just sets up this ladder, <laughs> climbs up, falls, does it again. It's this amazing sequence. Okay, but the important piece of information here, I believe, during this sequence is that the dog finds out, because he overhears, that they're Soviet spies trying to steal no, missile technology. No, that's not yet. That, that, that hasn't happened yet. Oh, what you, you were... We're not there yet? Come on. When we're are not, we going to get there That's yet. after no. the dance. Oh. Dude, we're still not even hour into the film. We're like 20 minutes into the movie. <laughs> oh... Okay, we got to speed up then. We got to get through this fast. Oh, yeah, we're two hours into recording. <laughs> the thing is with this scene is that isn't what happens, but it spells it out for you. That's exactly what's going to happen. Like, Sneaky McCartbealer invites his best friend over, Shady McCoworker. And right away, I looked at him and went, oh, he's going to hear that they have some sort of plot because he's a dog and he's going to sit in on the room. And that's going to be the end of the movie. And that somehow is exactly what happens. Yeah, okay. So the thing that we're missing is that in between these two scenes, they take the girls to the prom. They go to a dance. Again, it's like a sitcom episode. Basically, they wrote four episodes of this sitcom and then crammed them all into an episode. Because they are they just have generic sitcom story number three. A boy tries to take two girls to a dance at the same time. Because Buzz tries to take both Annette Funicello and Francesca to the dance at the same time because he has two dates and then he tells Wilby, who's now turned back into a boy temporarily, he's unfortunately Tommy Kirk, the lesser of the two actors who play <laughs> Wilby. Yes. Sam the dog being the better actor. <laughs> yes. Um, Tommy Kirk has to pretend to be the other date for both girls and it's a, it's a plan that seems it's destined to go horribly wrong but for some reason... Buzz seems to be quite the sociopath. He seems to manage to make it work quite longer yeah. than you would expect. I said, I said, how is Buzz's plan going so well? <laughs> like, he, He's a psychopath. he almost pulls it off. If it wasn't for him turning into a dog, like, his plan actually would have worked, I'm <laughs> led to believe. He didn't plan for. <laughs> yeah. So it's not his fault. <laughs> Buzz planned yeah, for every exactly. eventuality except. <laughs> My best friend into turning a into a dog. dog. And that's why he picks on him. He's like, the yeah. one thing I didn't plan for. Fuck. Provided you still stay a human for the next two hours, <laughs> we'll be okay. This is going to work. The line he said, uh, we're just playing a fun little joke on the girls. Now, Buzz is a fucking shitty dude. It's so gross, yeah. man. And then, and then, as I said, to go even further away from that, you have this awkward dance transformation where Poochie is turning into Chiffon. And you're like, oh my god, this is it. I'm going to get a dog in a tuxedo at a formal dance. I, I, this is, And then you don't get that fucking payoff. <laughs> hand dance that would have been perfect because then i mean like imagine just one shot some third party just like in the middle of a, like a, a a dance is suddenly dancing with a dog that would have been great yeah or yeah it turns back or he puts the hands up and it's the dog on the hind legs with like both paws going up would have been adorable uh, there's a conga line it's just the dog in the middle midway <laughs> um, like jumping listen that dog yeah. would have done it all right that, that dog could have pulled off the scene. Sammy would have sold it. The dad freaks out because he now thinks the dog is stalking him because the dad's <laughs> also the dance. <laughs> like the shark in Jaws 4. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yet again, Fred McMurray has no relevance to the plot, but they cram him into every scene they can. Can we talk about the midway transformation makeup, um, please, at this point? Because he's already transferred into the dog, transformed into the dog a couple times. Well, just really quickly. Um... It, the the midway transformation makeup is some of the shittiest things I've ever seen. <laughs> All they do is they just put like some like 
<laughs> like a wig on Tommy Kirk, and then like a sharpie, and they draw on a little black nose and call it good. I love it. That's the midway. It's not even a wig. Like if it was a full shaggy dog wig, that would be one thing. Yeah. They just like scotch tape, like little bits of fur to his face. <laughs> they, they brush the dog before the scene, and then they just put the, the fur on its ears. If you got that from Spirit Halloween, you demanded refund it's insane <laughs> there was one shot during this dance where um they must have put wires onto the sam's ears and they wiggled them oh they did you, you by, by, by must have you mean you can see the fucking wires in the frame <laughs> at this point i was dumbfounded like i was just like spies what is happening now no that's next that's the next scene because the girls find chiffon at the the francesca finds him there and says you're a bad dog go home and they lock him in the room with the mafia people or the Russian the, people. No, because he gets locked up with the Soviets because Buzz plays this whole, like, oh, I'm wounded. You should be nice to me. To which, as I say, the only time Poochie decides to act like his aforementioned name, decides to growl at attack and bite Buzz for putting the moves on this girl. And that's what gets him locked up in, like, dad's crime room. I'm okay with it because Buzz is piece but, of shit. Buzz sucks. But yeah, like, that's when it's like, and there's all, I mean, there's a good scene where, like, somehow the dog, like, Uses a screwdriver to take the frame, like, off of a door and escape, <laughs> which is earlier. It's one, it's one of the many escapes. But yeah, this is the point where now he's, Poochie is locked up in the room, in Dad's study. Where they're discussing how they're going to steal all of this American missile technology. At the missile plant. The missile plant. The missile that plant. That was the best name for them. At the <laughs> missile plant. We are going to the missile store to buy a missile. <laughs> the guy works there. He comes in, he's like, I have been promoted at the missile plant. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous he's like i'm now working in section 23 where they make the best missiles <laughs> this is where the good stuff is um uh, so yeah he's been promoted to section 23 and so they're going to um steal all of this missile information and the dog overhears this and then the dog to himself goes spies and then the movie goes in a totally different direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The last the last half of the movie is completely different. Does, and then doesn't he, for like some apparent reason, turn back into a human so they can see that there's a human, but then like when he leaves the house, he's a dog again? Yeah. Yes. It's it, basically whatever the plot requires, he keeps switching back and forth quite rapidly. So yeah. uh, there is a little bit to say here, though, because there's two scenes him overhearing the spy. So he hears about the spy plan. He goes, spies. And then he escapes still as a dog. They still don't know that he's a human. He goes back home. He tells his brother Moochie. He says, Moochie. There be spies. There be spies among us. The monsters are due on Elm Street. Uh, so then Moochie says, well, let's go tell dad. And so then he breaks it to his father. So he goes to his father and his father's reading the paper and he goes up and he says, dad, I'm a dog. <laughs> I, who, who else wrote down this line? Uh, I don't know. What was the line? You didn't write it down? It's the best line. Because he goes, I'm, I'm a dog, right? And then he goes, oh no, my own flesh and blood. So somehow I failed him as a father. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he faints. And then he faints. And then and he faints. It's such a good line. He's like, somehow I failed you as a father. You turned into a dog. <laughs> My one, my one thing I didn't wish upon you. <laughs> that was the one thing I didn't want you to be. Yeah, it's a dog. Unfortunately, the whole scene reeks of 
homophobia, honestly. I feel like the whole scene is yeah. a satire of 1950s era coming out to your parents moment, but it's played extremely comic because at the time it would be so ridiculous. It would just be like the most horrible thing you could say to your father. And the joke is that in this, it's that I'm a dog. And they're playing the scene as if he's saying, I'm gay. And then he freaks out and faints and says, I failed you as a father, except it's that I've transformed into a dog, which is the one thing he didn't want him to it's be. It's kind of sad, too, because if you read Tommy Kirk's like backstory, it's that when yeah, he sure. was outed as being gay, he was fired by Disney personally. Yeah. Not just let go from the studio and then only brought back to finish one film because the last film he finished with Disney was successful. So he may give him a one picture deal. Yeah. In fact, it is the weirdest thing because he was fired and then temporarily rehired because the last film that he shot turned out to be a surprise success and they made a sequel to it. And then he was once again fired. <laughs> um, he did have a little bit of success after that because he made some beach comedies in the late 60s uh, outside of his Disney contract. You say American International Pictures. That was the first studio he signed with after getting let go from Disney. Yeah, but it is a, it is an unfortunate story, and it does color the scene in a very strange way. Yeah, okay. But, uh, I take back the line. It's not funny anymore. Um, it's kind of funny. But- it is a funny reaction <laughs> to, uh, I'm a dog. I failed you as a father. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, like, Fred, his hatred for dogs is so well played. I mean, he's like, he has no other character besides I hate dogs. And yeah. the fact that he turns into a dog and says this, it's like, it's kind of a good payoff. Well, his character seems to be, I hate dogs, I don't particularly like my two sons, and I tolerate the presence of my wife, <laughs> as long as she stays three feet away from me. See, yeah. he's already on edge. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Talia, are your, does your headphones have lights on them, or is that just a reflection? Because it looks like you're wearing some sort of like... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to That's a awesome. rave after this, you know, just getting ready. You're going to like a rave by Zoom, where oh, like yeah. everybody's in little Zoom squares, <laughs> and there's just one like Zoom DJ. And everyone's just wearing pajama oh, yeah. bottoms. It's a don't worry about the bottom party. What's happening in this movie? There's like two or three things we need to say. After his father wakes up, Moochie explains to him that your son Poochie has tried to stop these spies that he has <laughs> discovered as a dog. We need to assist him by going to the authorities. And Fred McMurray is convinced to go to the security authorities at the local missile plant. He's so enthusiastic about it, he doesn't even bother putting on shoes. To explain to them that... His son, who is a dog, has overheard the local Boris and Natasha spies <laughs> discussing how they're going to steal all of this missile technology. And the local authorities say, mm-hmm, yeah, no, that makes sense. So you say that your son is a werewolf. And then they go on a long werewolf rant, which, again, only makes sense understanding that this movie is, at times, somebody thought it was a satire of I was a teenage werewolf. They're really they're really specific about it. They don't even say werewolf. It's They, they use the word lycanthropy. Yeah, they go into detail about it. I, again, somebody remembered that this was supposed to be a werewolf satire, and then they were like, oh, fuck, 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 let's put that in this scene. None of this has any relevance to the plot. It's only to pay off the fact that they're marketing this as, A, a Fred McMurray movie, and B, a werewolf satire both of which aren't really part of the story so they have to cram this scene in there that doesn't do anything there's a really weird element here too where the psychiatrist 
like really is like oh lycanthropy the act of when men and women would turn into werewolves and witches and i was like why the fuck does the history professor at the museum and the psychi like the psychologist or psychiatrist at this missile plant why are they so into these superstitious beliefs <laughs> like they both state them as if it's fact i could get the mu- the museum guy cuz he's literally setting up like an occult wing but the Psychiatrist at the missile plant is a tough pill to swallow there. That one doesn't really make it much It would make sense. even more sense if, like, Professor Plum was also played by Edwin. Like, that would totally sell this whole movie. It's a very Edwin role. Maybe it was more of a werewolf movie when Gregory Peck was attached to it. J- just his chest hair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> just an excuse for Gregory Peck to rip off his shirt? Any excuse for Gregory Peck to rip off his shirt. <laughs> Give me the extra dog fur. I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Blew it onto me. <laughs> There's one reason why they didn't top Ben Hur. It's that. I know that was a miscalculation. Disney lived to regret it. He waked up in the middle of the night. He's like, "Oh, Gregory Peck would have beat Ben Hur. If only, was shirtless. If only was shirtless." And then he leaned over and said, "Kurt Russell and died." It's <laughs> like so gave him the heart attack. <laughs> His nightmare about this film. They cracked it. <laughs> so while Fred McMurray is doing these tacked-on weird psychiatry scenes, we have Tommy Kirk as a dog trying to stop the Soviet spies. And so he goes back to the house. Um, he turns back into a human while he's in the evil crime room. Um, they debate whether to murder him and then weirdly debate whether to murder his own daughter. It's a very weird scene. Yeah, man. Uh, where they're like, ah, oh, should I kill my daughters? Well, probably not. Let's just tie up the boy, take our secret missile information, and then take my daughter to the boat and we're going to escape and drive all the way to Russia. <laughs> I don't know what their plan was. They like they like get in a motorboat. They get in like a dinghy and they're like going to go to Russia. But you react when you panic. That's it. <laughs> Quick, I don't know what to do. I have a plan B and they get there. It's just this little dinghy. <laughs> Which way is Russia? What, where are they? Where are they located? Do we know what town they're in? I don't know. Is it ever said? It's a poor town, obviously. Like, no, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. The town doesn't, it doesn't really seem like a coastal town. So they're just on a lake? They're gonna go to Russia on a dinghy on a lake. At any rate, somehow they're gonna get to Russia on this dinghy. <laughs> the dog turns into Tommy Kirk, which then convinces them to get on the dinghy and flee to Russia, and then turns back into a dog, because the plot requires that to happen in order for the dog to steal the car and drive the car. Because this is an old-timey Disney movie, so the third act requires, everyone say it together, it's a car car chase. It's a car chase. We'll just edit that together. We'll fix it in post. (laughs) No, no. We'll say it four more times. Let's try it. Let's try it. Get it all together. One, two, car chase. Car chase. Car chase. Car Car chase. Car chase. Car chase. Chase the car. Car chase. The dog drive chases the car. Car Car chase. Chase. (laughs) It's not bad, though, because this one involves a dog driving the car. And it's Uh, so fucking good. It's the best one we've seen. (laughs) It's the fucking best. It's the best part of the whole film. I'm cheering. Like, all of the close-ups of the dog. The dog somehow standing on the seat while operating the pedals and driving. It's so good. There's so many scenes of the dog cruising in this, like hot rod with the top down 
with its like one paw like on the side of the car as if it's like cruising and the other paw like moving the the wheel as if it's just like moving down the street and you're just like that's the coolest dog i've ever seen i 100 percent believe that that dog thought he was driving the car so the special effect of it <laughs> oh yeah is that there was someone else they cut out a panel in the passenger seat i don't know and there was someone no, else lying that. down i mean no you saw the glimmer in his eye that dog was driving in my mind. That dog was probably raised in Formula One for like weeks in preparation for this role. Oh, they actually did oh, yeah. spend weeks training that dog how to drive that car. Um, uh, it was it's actually a cute story. It's a cute story. Like they took the car, they took the dog in a wheelbarrow at first, and they like drove him around the lot in a wheelbarrow, and the dog just sitting in the wheelbarrow, and then they like installed a driving wheel in the wheelbarrow, and the dog pretended to, like, drive the wheelbarrow. And then they, like, moved up, like, different layers to, like, train the dog how to drive the car. Yeah, that's how I learned how to drive. Yeah, with, like, a little... (laughs) (laughs) That's normal. I wrote uh, I wrote a line. Wait, this dog is driving. All is forgiven. <laughs> like at this point in time, I, I like it completely changed my perspective of the film. I mean, I think my note too is just is just dog drives car with several exclamation points. And my next note is just the word amazing in all capitals. I was so happy. <laughs> and then I said the next line again was why do I love this? It's great. It's amazing. I fucking love this scene. All right, so the car dr- the dog drives the car all the way to the port, stops the spies rescues the girl buzz gets credit for rescuing the girl tommy kirk is quite upset about that but what happens is the police arrive because fred mcmurray has convinced them to like follow the dog that's chasing the spies and once they get there they arrest the spies i mean the did we just we touch on that the police stop the dog from driving the car and he distracts them and steals their car and drives off in a police vehicle (laughs) no we didn't say that I forgot to mention that. That was quite And then the, the other cops show up to arrest the other police officer. I only see the dog has stolen their car and is driving it to the beach. Driving one car isn't enough for this dog. This dog has to drive two different cars, one of which is a police car. And run the sirens. The dog gets pulled over by the cops and then outwits the cops and steals the cops' car. So he brings all of the cops to the port, at which time he saves the girl, stops the spy ring, and the cops arrest the spies. And Fred McMurray is there for some reason because he's also contractually obligated to be in some of these scenes and then at the very end of the movie we see uh, a new hope style awards ceremony where the press is there to bestow a medal upon in the living room in their living room which we think (laughs) is it going to be fred mcmurray but no they're actually bestowing a medal on the dog but fred mcmurray for some reason is now quite happy to embrace this dog I'm not entirely sure why Fred McMurray has come around. He doesn't really have an arc to me. He just seems to suddenly love dogs. Because no- he the, now he got to be in the paper as well. Because he's mentioned in yeah. one mm. of the papers. That's his arc. His arc is that he gets to be second billing yes. to the dog. And so now he loves dogs. <laughs> he learns to love the dog and hate his son. Because the, the son, like while the paper is they're like, get a shot with your son. No, your other son. And it's just... <laughs> Poochie leaving with Buzz being sad outside while the dog praises, like, Moochie and Chiffon. And then the movie forgets who the main character of the movie is and just kind of ends. I like to think that there's an off-camera clockwork orange scene where he learns to love dogs. Oh, like, with his eyes pried open? (laughs) Yeah. They're just showing him footage of, like, dogs (laughs) catching frisbees, dogs, like, running through an open field, dogs saving babies. And he's like, no, I've seen that one and I hated it. 
Fuck that baby. <laughs> um, there's, I wanted to go right, right, right back to the beach scene for a quick second because there's a shot where the magic of the movie doesn't make any fucking sense anymore. And when Tommy Kirk turns back into a person, for some reason, she fall is there at the beach and is wet and has been in the water when that's not how the magic works throughout the rest of the movie because Tommy Kirk is the dog that pulls Francesca out of the water, therefore breaking the curse, doing his act of heroism. But then when he and Buzz are fighting and get stuck in the fishing net, Chiffon shows up and is wet. And you're like, but Chiffon wasn't there. Like I said, every scene is made by someone who didn't see the previous (laughs) hour and a half of the movie. Ah, yeah. Doesn't make any fucking sense. The magic in this film changes from scene to scene because... Every single script element was this, but better, and nobody went back and made it better. Poochie gets no recognition at all for anything, not by anybody. Not like by the dad, not by Moochie, not by Francesca, not by, like, nobody. The character at the very end is in the exact same position as it was at the start of the film. There's literally... A shot of him, like, going to talk to Annette, and she's, like, running off with a different dude, and, like, Buzz still owes him seven bucks. Like, there's no character growth. There's no nothing. He's wet. Like, like there's nothing. And his father has, like, a medal. It's like... <laughs> yes! <laughs> his like, it's one of the, the weirdest <laughs> endings, because... Because... <laughs> Because not only does, like, the bad guy get captured off screen, <laughs> they just don't address any of his situation at all again. <laughs> it's not even like, well, I guess he can't turn into a dog again. It's like... <laughs> the thing is, he does. This is why someone grows up to be Dean Jones. A sad old man who's just keeps turning into a dog, even though you're a DA. But we'll save that for the sequel, I guess. He's, he's, he's not a DA. He's a, he's a lawyer who's on track to become the DA, but he gets so stressed out, he starts turning into the dog again. Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I don't know that yet. I hear that happens a lot, though. Okay, well, uh, I think that's the end, Talia. Do you have anything else to say about the movie? Is there anything we missed? Does that kind of capture the stuff that you thought was important from this film? I think so. I think we covered everything integral about... This iconic Shaggy Dog movie. <laughs> it is iconic. Somehow it's iconic. This is one of the most successful live action films Walt Disney ever produced. Fuck. That makes no fucking sense. All right. Talia, I'm going to start with you. Out of the one films you've watched so far for this podcast, where would you rank the Shaggy Dog? Number one. I don't know. <laughs> Number one? Oh my God. No. <laughs> just like all the writers for the movies, like you just go off instinct. You don't have to do any research prior. You just, what your first thought uh-huh. is, yep. throw it in there. Just throw it, that's how they wrote the movie. That's how you review the movie. The first thing into your head, you say it. I've got to, I've got to um, start ranking these films before we record the podcast for them. Because I ran into this trouble uh, where I rank the movie too high based on the amount of enjoyment I got talking about the movie, (laughs) not actually based on the film. Because I was going to rate the shaky dog pretty high because I've had a blast today, but this movie was not good. I mean, the the, the dog driving the car is like, if that was just the film, number one. <laughs> By far and away. Oh, this was just shots of Sam the dog who played Chiffon, just cut together. Yeah. 
This would be this would be very very hot. That dog yeah. is amazing. That dog won awards that, for this film. There yeah. was like some like best dog acting of 1959, and I was like, well deserved, well fucking deserved. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yes, of course. Based on the movie alone, it's got to be in like just above Oz the Great and Powerful, so it's number sixteen. That's pretty low. All right, I'm just gonna go back to you for a second, Talia. Yeah. So uh, you wanted to pick this. So what were your thoughts on this movie? Before coming into this, you had seen it once before. Oh, um, so I have a confession. I've never seen it. I lied. You lied. I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was, I was ready for Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> so it's my first time watching it. Again, I, I didn't know what to expect. So that's why I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. Let's see how this unwraps, you know? Much like Shaggy Dog, I live on. That's so funny. <laughs> live on the edge. <laughs> okay, then. Well, what were your thoughts then? I know you only have one to compare it to here, but you know, just generally speaking, what do you think of Com- the film? Compared to Angels in the Outfield, how does it rank? Yeah, how does it rank compared to Angels in the Outfield? <laughs> nothing, nothing compared to Angels in the Outfield. But that one, I almost have to rewatch again with my grown-up brain. I think with the stories behind it, it makes it a little bit more sad to think about now with Shaggy Dog and Angels in the Outfield. I don't know what that one. <laughs> That's a true story. Joko's family really, you it know, is. he was an orphan. You know, foster kids are real. <laughs> Tony Dancer really couldn't pitch anymore. Yeah. <laughs> don't make fun. Write a letter so that movie can come so I can come back on the show and we can talk about it. But, uh, yeah, I it was decent like again it was the dog that stole the show like i'm so bad with names late at night the dad fred mcmurray i thought he was fun yeah he was in it for like 23 minutes i was like yeah you should be mad at your kid with fred mcmurray just threatening to get his shotgun if he sees a dog yeah. in the neighborhood is dad gonna go get his shotgun oh today? my god how many dogs is dad <laughs> gonna kill today what a nightmare <laughs> wait 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 he's a mailman yeah. We never see him doing his no, job. No, he doesn't go to work. <laughs> Don't mailmen, like, have to get up so early to go deliver mail? He's probably being investigated for the death of <laughs> multiple dogs on his route. <laughs> so many dogs, he's on leave. <laughs> but he's a government job, he has a union, so he's on, you know, paid suspension while yeah. they investigate these suspicious dog deaths. He's protected. You gotta get mm-hmm. in a union, all right? Then you can kill as many dogs as you want. That's what unions are for. That's the first thing they say when you join the union. All right, what kind of dog do you want to kill? It's the lyrics of Solidarity (laughs) Forever. (laughs) All right, I'm going to give my thoughts here. I fully expected to like this movie. I knew that it had been quite successful. I assumed it was about Fred McMurray turning into a dog. I had seen images of a dog driving a car, and I was like, oh boy, I'm so excited to watch this film. And then this film is an incomprehensible mess of like seven different plots, most of which are bad. The only good actor is the dog. Uh, <laughs> I did not like it. Um, I am going to put this movie below Freaky Friday 1976. I am going to put this movie below Babes in Toyland. Uh-huh. I am going to put this movie above The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin. So this goes right between Babes in Toyland and The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin for me. So that's like number 18 or something. I don't know. Uh, Bob, yeah. what do you say? I am putting this one just above Babes in Toyland because I really hated that movie and below Reign of Fire. Oh, yeah. No, Reign of Fire is way better than this. It's about dragons and Matthew McShirtless. Matthew McShirtless. I mean, like, now I'll just bear with me for a moment. 
if Matthew McShirtless somehow turned into a dog partway through the movie and had to fight the dragon. <laughs> and Matthew McShirtless turns into a dog and has to drive the tank. There you go. The yes. best movie you've yes. ever seen the in your life. <laughs> Is it so much to ask for? God damn it, Disney. We keep asking and you never deliver. All right. Well, Talia, thank you so much for joining us. We do have, or I specifically have, one more request from you. Oh. I need you to say the line, it's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. And if you're looking for some direction, I have some direction for you. Do you want Do you want a pitch? Do you want some direction for your line? Yeah. All right. So here's your direction. You've gone to an art gallery. You're walking <laughs> through the art gallery with a friend of yours. And you see a painting. The painting is of a creepy old Italian woman. She's wearing a magical amulet, and beside her is a Bratislavian sheepdog. And while you and your friend look on at this painting, your friend turns to you and says, What's that painting called? And you look down at the title of the painting, and the title says, Oui, that is Le Podcast War Tennis Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a half French accent. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. That's very good. That's it. That's the um, one. Now, Talia, <laughs> as we end each podcast, we usually end <laughs> with our catchphrase. So I'm going to need you to say your catchphrase. <laughs> that's butter, baby. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. That's the butter, baby. And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at Podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. <laughs>